critical mass and all of that energy. And I think about what you're able to do with that in this community. And I haven't spent a lot of time in Bowling Green as a kid. As a kid, we lived in Hermitage, Tennessee when I was growing up. And uh, we would come up to what was the park? Beach Bend Park. And so that was a lot of fun. But I haven't been up here. But I came up early because I wanted to look around a little bit. And, man, alive, what a wonderful community. I, I know in some ways the growth is uh, changing things, and maybe there's a little more traffic and busyness. Just think of all the souls, amenities and souls. You've got good, good amenities, too. So we need to be thankful for what God is doing in our communities. Good to be with you tonight. I think that my topic is to talk about evangelism. Is that right, Neil? By the way you know that you have one of the best staffs of any church in our brotherhood. Do you know that? Great speakers, teachers, and just caring people who love to minister. And sometimes uh, we take that for granted. I hope that you don't. You are truly, truly blessed. As we, as we get started, The lesson that I'm going to bring to you tonight comes out of a new book. The new book won't be out until next fall. It takes me a long time. I'm really, really slow, okay? But uh, it's it's finished. I'm editing and working on getting out the bumps, okay? But I wanted to share some thoughts with you. And uh, this book is on the subject of evangelism. But it comes at it from a different angle, okay? Because usually we're talking about the knowledge and methodology. Here's how you do it. And this book is different, okay? Very different. It's called Bold Faith. Bold Faith. And the idea is that probably the thing that holds us back more than anything else is not knowledge, I mean, I'm not saying don't study your Bible. We need to study. You can't give what you don't have. But the fact is that we convert approximately 0% of the people we don't talk to. Somewhere in that vicinity, okay? There would be much more happening if we would just talk to folks. And so that's where we're going tonight. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book as we get started. C.S. Lewis said that, Courage is not just one of the virtues, but it is the essence of all the virtues at their testing point. Courage is where the other virtues, you find out when you're under pressure, what you really believe, what your real values are. We can talk about them, but it's different. So courage. I think about courage. Courage This idea of boldness, courage, confidence. There's another definition for that, and that is the ability to take risks. And I think in evangelism, what we're talking about is the risk-taking ability of love. When you love people, you're willing to go out on a limb. They may get mad at you. They may not like what you say. We want to, as First Peter three fifteen tells us, we want to give an account of the hope within us and to do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Does your, does your tone matter? 
Does your approach matter? Absolutely it does. But by the way, when you think about what he says, be ready to give a reason or an account or a defense of the hope within you. The emphasis there is on the hope within you, okay? And we get caught up on, do I have encyclopedic knowledge of everything that the Bible teaches on every possible topic? Did I, you know, I sat at uh, Harvey Floyd's feet at Lipscomb years ago studying systematic theology. I was not a good student, okay? I can't tell you everything that I learned in my systematic theology class. But I think sometimes we make a mistake when we think that's the most important part of this. And so we've got to have the ability to to go beyond knowledge, to go beyond uh, just the particulars, just the methodologies. And we've got to be willing to be tested. When you think about this idea, how did you become a Christian? Did somebody talk to you? Did somebody muster the courage to talk to you? And so now that's an obligation that you take when you become a Christian to talk to somebody else, to muster the courage to talk to somebody. It's an obligation that every Christian has. The Christianity is a call to several things. One thing it is a call to is courage. Would you agree? It's a call to courage. And so we need to be able to, to speak up. Now, the problem is, it's very simple, isn't it, to speak. You're probably pretty good at that. Is anybody good at that? Uh Point at the person next to you if they're really good at talking, okay? If they really, okay, I see some, I see some people pointing. But the problem is that you have to do it in a disapproving world. And that's the difference. Christianity used to be the dominant fault, cultural norm in America. Is it today? <laughs> no, Christians are now a pariah. And people can't believe that you think the things that you think. Everything that you were taught growing up was right is now wrong. And people look at you not just with disdain, but it can even get scary at times. So we have to decide, are we going to speak up? God uses human agency, doesn't he? He always works through people. He's counting on us to do this thing. And so the question comes, when you become a Christian, are you going to shrink into the shadows and be silent? Will you shirk your responsibility or will you share your faith with boldness? And so we have the, I would say it's even thrilling today. If Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest, it's never been more true than today. People are not biblically literate. You know, things that you used to take for granted You're talking to somebody at the grocery store and they're carrying your bags to the car and you mention something. We're having VBS and you mention some Bible story, some kingdom parable, some Bible verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. They've never heard of it. And you you grew up in a different age, but, but people are not biblically literate today. But what that means is they can be amazed when they hear for the first time of such great love, such wonderful teachings that not only will make it possible for you to go to heaven and have eternal life, but will make your life sane and sensible and stable here upon the earth. 
Jesus said he came that we might have what? Life and have it what? Abundantly. He wants us to have eternal life in heaven. He wants us to have an abundant life on earth. And you get the opportunity to share that with people, with family members and friends. What's it going to take to do that? I think primarily one thing, a little nerve, a little courage can make all the difference in the world. This book on bold faith is really the story of Stephen. Have you ever read a book on Stephen? A book? Maybe you read a chapter on Stephen. Have you ever read a book on Stephen? Well, next year you're going to get a chance to do that, okay? Because his life is remarkable. He is living proof of the possibility and the desirability to stand up in the face of a disapproving world. He found his voice, didn't he? Under pressure. And he can help you find your voice. Because we're going to face some of the same challenges. What are you looking at when you look at, at Stephen? You're looking at the audacity of genuine faith. What does genuine faith look like? And so we're, we're grateful that we uh, are going to have a chance to talk about this. Let me tell you a little bit about the book before we get into one specific chapter. Okay, I, I decided on one chapter that might be uh, helpful, and it's more towards the end than the beginning. So I just want to tell you a little bit about this book. I believe when you look at the Bible, there are watershed moments. Would you agree? Watershed moments? What is a watershed, by the way? Well, that's that dividing line where water is collected into different streams and creeks and rivers and lakes. It's, it's that physical barrier that makes it go into different directions. You're going down the interstate. Have you ever seen where it talks about that watershed? Well, there are watershed moments of faith because just as there are physical things that create this this separation, the same thing is true when it comes to time. There are moments of time that are watersheds. For instance, in art, we could talk about impressionism. That was new. That's a watershed moment. Penicillin, how about that? Novocaine, hallelujah. Novocaine, anesthesia, great moment in history. Can you imagine for just a second what surgery was like before antibiotics and before anesthesia? Watershed moments. Well, the same thing is true spiritually, isn't it? And so we talk about the patriarchal age. Things turned when God raised up Abraham. And we talk about the Mosaical Age because that's different. The coming of the law, the sacrificial system and the Ten Commandments and the Holiness Code and Leviticus. And then we come to the Messianic Age. You know, I think about Calvary. Was that a watershed moment, Calvary? Absolutely. What about Pentecost? Was Pentecost a watershed moment? The birthday of the church of Jesus Christ. Well, we're talking in our lessons about a lesser known but pivotal moment in church history. That's Stephen's sermon. I want to tell you, I believe that that sermon changed the world. I think it changed the world. <laughs> the question is, will it change our world? But, but when you look at it, you have Christ who's done everything, the Spirit who is working so hard as the Christian faith 
is is spreading. And then you have these jealous mobs and you have these uh, envious Jews who are doing everything they can to stop the Christian movement. And with Stephen's sermon, there really came a parting of the ways between Judaism and Christianity. It was a watershed moment. And a lot of people looked at it and they said, oh, what a failure. I mean, how many converts did did uh, Stephen, how many people said, nice sermon? Neil, do you, do you get every once in a while on Sunday morning somebody... The ones who are really good, the ones he really remembers and appreciates, are the ones who tell him what they like. If you say nice sermon, that just means, ah, oh, yeah, so-so. It's when you tell him what you said about, and then you get specific, he goes home floating on the clouds. Just, it's a wonderful thing. How many compliments, I mean, just tepid, just polite compliments did Stephen get that day? Zero. Zero. But it wasn't a failed moment, and it wasn't a failed life. It was a high point in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. That sermon sparked global evangelism. I mean, you read my text was Acts chapter 8 in the first four verses. It sparked global evangelism, without a doubt. It's interesting how our faith can have an effect in unexpected ways at unexpected times. When you, when you look at the book, let me just lay it out for you real quick. There's three sections. Here's the three sections. It starts, it, it starts with a storm. Would you say there was a brewing storm in Acts chapter 1 going, you know, uh, especially in chapters 4 and 5, and, and you see this brewing storm as there's more and more animosity, more and more hatred. They're getting more and more physical. The Sanhedrin goes from lecturing to beating, and it, it, it's just getting worse and worse. So you have the storm. At the same time, God is raising up a servant, isn't he? He did that in Egypt when they were getting worse and worse. He raised up Moses during the period of the judges. He would he would raise up those deliverers. Today it's you, members of the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ, in your circle of friends, at your workplace, with your family members, to share the hope within you, to just share the joy. If you can't do anything else, amen. If you can't do anything else, can you just tell people how blessed you are? And, and, and then it's not about debate tactics and arm twisting, but it's just about opening the door to a, a, a greater, deeper conversation. It starts with a conversation. It ends with a choice, but you gotta, you gotta get going. Share the joy. I think it helps us when we look at it that way to loosen up a little bit, relax. God is not depending on you to have every answer to every question that could ever be proposed, and you don't have to worry about being embarrassed. If somebody says something and you don't, you say, hey, let's study it. Let's look at it. So you can relax a little bit. 
But you're going to have the conversation. You're going to have the courage because conversations are how God creates the world. How did God create the world? Was it with words? He used words. How did you create your marriage? I think there was probably a word in there. There may have been. Would you go out with me? Would you marry me? I do. Words create new realities. It's, it's, it's how God created. It's how we create. It's how we create families. It's how we, we, it's how we create the future. Jesus spoke and we have the Sermon on the Mount. Was he creating something in those beautiful words? The constitution of the kingdom of God, it's been called. I think that's an, an apt term. Well, in any case, it starts with this brewing storm, but God has this emerging servant, the right man at the right time with the right stuff. What's the right stuff? With courage. And you have this irritated audience. Would you call the synagogue of the freedmen an irritated audience? <laughs> they were mad before he started, okay? They didn't want to hear what he had to say, but they felt like they had to listen. And so they're irritated. They're upset. They've accused him of things. Are these things so? He has to explain to the synagogue of the free men and to the Sanhedrin what's going on. Then, after the storm, you have the sermon. Who does he talk about? Abraham, who was called by God. He talks about uh, Joseph, who underwent many trials. He talks about Moses. And his choice to serve God talks about Aaron and how he caved to pressure. He talks about uh, Joshua. And it was incumbent upon him to expel the land of those who were not believers in God. And then there was David who enthusiastically worked to build up God's temple. I think in those stories, one of the things he's saying is, these are men with courage. These are men with boldness who were not understood and who were not appreciated in their day in many instances, and yet they withstood the tide of public pressure and did what God wanted. And the people who were hating on Stephen didn't realize that they were just like those who had killed the prophets. They, they couldn't see themselves. They thought that they were defenders of the faith and they were obstructors. So he talks about courage, the need for courage under pressure. They needed the courage to recognize what they were doing was wrong. They needed the courage. Sometimes does repentance take courage? They needed the courage to repent. And so he gives all of these wonderful examples. You get to the end. He's been very polite in his sermon. He starts out very, very polite. When he gets to the end, he has an honest ending. You know, if people are accepting, you go ahead, and uh, you, you're as gentle as you can possibly be. If people are in denial, you may be more direct. You're as gentle as you can be and as direct as you need to be. I mean, that's, I think that's how you do it. And so he gets to the end of the sermon, and it is one of the... <laughs> One of the most interesting, the, he calls them out. I mean, he really does. He calls them out. So he has an honest ending. And when he does, they just can't bear it. 
and you get to witness the stoning of Stephen, the awfulness of human anger, what can people do? What are people capable of who are jealous and envious? And But then we come to the end of the book, and we see a great beginning. You know, back in 1910, there was a great fire, a great fire in Montana and Idaho. I don't know if you heard about it. Three million acres of timber were lost. They say enough to build 800,000 houses, 8 billion board feet of lumber. They say that it would have taken a train uh, 2,400 miles long, probably extending almost coast to coast to carry all of the lumber that was destroyed in that fire. And it was terrible. It was terrible. Those flames were leaping hundreds of feet into the air. They say fireballs were, were jumping canyons a half a mile wide. It, it, was a, it was a terrible situation. Eighty-six men died, mostly firefighters, on the front line. Whole towns were destroyed. It was awful. It was awful. When I think about that, it reminds me of a passage of Scripture. The passage of Scripture is from James. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, when we think about the tongue, the tongue is like a spark. Your words are like sparks. They can be careless and they can be combustible, okay? They can be combustible. Now, in Proverbs 8.21, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So while James says be careful because your whole world can be set on fire of hell, you can destroy congregations, you can destroy families, you can destroy people's lives, their self-esteem, their will to live. You can do horrible things with words and, and even do it unintentionally and yet brutalize people every day. But on the other hand... You can also impart life. You can share the gospel. You can sing the praises of Jesus Christ. You can lead prayers. You can encourage one another and build each other up. So when we think about that single spark, a single spark from a train engine that was going through the densely forested Bitterroot Mountains, This was the Chicago-Milwaukee-Puget Sound Railroad. And this engine is throwing out red-hot cinders. And one cinder in that parched, parched land, one cinder started that fire. One cinder. Really? Do you know how far it reached? They say that fire... uh, Darken the skies in Denver, Colorado, in Watertown, New York. It turned the skies an eerie copper color in Boston. Ships 500 miles out to sea could not navigate by the stars because of the haze. They had soot in Greenland. In Greenland. Can you believe it? And when I think about the far-reaching effects of that fire... That was unintentional. Just think what you can do with intention. Think of what you can do with your words. Because your words are going to spark change in people's lives. 
It all starts with the spark. That's what his sermon was. That's what your words are when you have the opportunity. Think of your life, your example. Think of your words as sparks. And tender hearts are the tender of the gospel. You want to pass on your faith to your grandkids, your nieces and your nephews, your neighbors, the kids in your Bible class. We need to live with intention and not be careless with our words and use them to the best of our ability. In Hebrews 10.24, let us stir up one another to loving good works. And by the way, uh, Paul told Timothy, you need to fan into flame the gift of God. Stir up the gift of God in you. It starts by stirring up what's in you, and then it's what you stir up around you. Provoke one another unto love and good works. Stir each other up to the attitude of love that is demonstrated in your behaviors and in your conduct. It's the way. Guys, there is nothing that you're going to do probably more powerful in trying to bring people to Jesus Christ than the way you treat your spouse. They're going to see the gospel. And I'm not saying you never talk to them about faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. But what do they care what you think about that if you're mistreating your spouse? But if you are showing her the honor and the love that you ought to be showing, the kind that Christ showed to his bride, the church, and gave himself for her, there's going to be some folks who want to know about that. You're going to have some opportunities. We need to demonstrate in our lives the gospel. It needs to begin within us, and then we need to spark those things around us. And Jeremiah, you remember Jeremiah said he had a fire in his bones. By the way, what about Moses? Did Moses have a fire? I think the burning bush never went out in his memory. What was the thing about the burning bush? wouldn't go out. It just kept burning. I don't think it ever went out in his mind till the day he died. He could remember that burning bush. Think about those who were on the road to Emmaus. The fire burned within them. We need to have that fire. And that's going to make all of the difference. Real faith is relentless in creating positive change around you. There's just this, this chain reaction of good things because you're, what did Jesus do in Acts 10 38? Went about doing Good. He went about doing good. Everywhere he went, sparks. Sparks of God's grace, God's love, God's goodness. And so we're going to be tested. Just like we said, C.S. Lewis told us that courage is not just a virtue, but it's the essence of every virtue at its testing point. You're going to be tested. The time is going to come. You have to decide, am I going to be timid? Or am I going to be brave? Am I going to speak up? You want to see some amazing things happen at Lehman Avenue. You see, if we're not sowing, we're not growing. We want to go and we want to sow and we want to ground and we want to grow. And there's this process. But where does it start? Sowing. It starts with sowing. And so our faith is tested by whether we do. Timid faith, that's like cold, lifeless fire. 
What is bold faith? I think that's holy fire. <laughs> you remember uh, there was a couple of guys in Leviticus chapter 10 during the inaugural day of tabernacle worship who brought unholy fire. You remember that? Unholy fire. They didn't bring what God had asked them to bring. And their inferior fire was really evidence of their second-rate faith. And it's no surprise that God destroyed them with fire. He was making the point. I mean, we see fire at, at interesting times on the day of Pentecost. Do you see fire? Tongues of fire. And here we see fire. And if you think about that mistake, do you think sometimes we bring unholy fire? I mean, inauthentic faith, timid Faith, God does not give a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, but of what? Of power and of love and of a sound mind. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Bold faith is holy fire. And it's amazing to think about what God will do. So just as that train was winding its way through the Bitterroot Mountains, your life, when you get up in the morning... And you have your Diet Coke or your cup of coffee. You're going to be winding your way. Not through water parched lands, but gospel parched. There are souls that need to hear the gospel. And you get to decide to just share your joy. Just say a word. Start a conversation. I think about in the uh, book of Acts when we, when we look at the conversion of the, of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. How did that start? Well, first of all, it starts with him running, right? He ran. He didn't wait and say, well, you know, if they come to me. He was taking the initiative. He was proactive. He comes. God tells him to come. God tells us to go. We need to go. And then he, what does he do? Does he hear something? He's reading. What's he doing? He's listening. Do you think conversion can begin with listening? He listens, and then what does he do? He asks a question. It's amazing what can happen. Questions are tools that can break up assumptions. It lets the other person do the heavy lifting. But if, if, if you're just telling, they can shut their brains off. It's when you ask, and they must defend their faith, and they have to dig down into their soul that marvelous things happen. You know, we believe in pattern theology. Maybe if we listen and ask first and tell later, uh, if we get, maybe if we get the order right, we'll have more success. But it's an amazing thing to see what happened in that wonderful story. Uh, wow. I didn't get through my introduction. And, uh, wow. Um, I wanted to talk about how Philip's faith carried him to preach to the Samaritans. You remember how they were rejoicing and glorifying the word of God? And then the people in Jerusalem hear what's happening. They send Peter and John down there. And when they go down there, they're doing their thing. And when they're going home, it says they preached on the way home. And then it talks about how, uh, how, Philip, how Philip would preach after he preached to the Samaritans. 
He started preaching to every village. He's going to every village. You just can't stop this guy. And by the way, what happens, we just mentioned it, just as fireballs can leap canyons, the gospel is leaping countries and continents. It's going to Africa through the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's going into Asia through the apostle Paul. Was he a ball of fire? And, and you know, Barnabas comes along and fans him into a flame, doesn't he? And he started preaching in Arabia and Cilicia, and, and then Barnabas comes and gets him over there at his hometown and carries him back to Antioch, and they have a little time of preparation. The Holy Spirit calls him, and it just bursts into flame, just an international inferno as, as Saul of Tarsus, Paul, he starts preaching everywhere on one, two, three missionary journeys. Was he... Through when he finished his third one. Read Romans 15, 24. What is he doing? He's still thinking about preaching. And he says, I'm going to come to you on my way to Spain. And we're going to have fun. And you're going to help me. He says, you're going to help me after we enjoy some time together. Let's enjoy some time together. And we're going to partner in this thing. Until the day he died, what was he thinking? He's thinking about souls. Sharing the wonderful gospel that set him free. I think it was Robert Frost. You ever heard of Robert Frost, the poet, about the road less traveled? And Robert Frost says that freedom lies in boldness. Can you get over yourself? Can you get over your timidity? Can you get over your fear? And put your faith in Jesus, who's promised to be present with you. It's the power of the gospel. You're going to get to share that, but begin by just sharing your joy, by just sharing your hope, by telling them what wonderful things are happening at Lehman Avenue. It's a great place. People love each other. You just share. If you do your part, here's what I believe. I think God will do his part. You believe it? I think if you do your part... God will do his part, and then you know what? The listeners will do their part, and they'll decide. But let's not let them be lost without the opportunity to decide. Do you remember what it was like to be lost? I didn't grow up in the church. Talk about a fire in your heart when I learned about the gospel. It just thrilled me down to the very core of my being. I'm a true believer in the restoration of New Testament Christianity. I believe that every command God gives has a blessing that comes from obedience. That's not legalism. That's love. You're telling people how they can have the best possible life by doing what God says because he created the world. He created us. He made relationships. He knows how it all works. We trust him, and we get a chance to share that. But you've got to remember you got to remember, what was it like to be lost? And when you do, you're going to find your courage. You're going to find your voice. And you're going to start something. And Jesus said, when you sow the seed, what? Sometimes there's a seed, it'll bring forth what? A hundredfold. You don't know where it's going to stop. Because that person teaches their spouse or teaches their child who teaches someone else. It's 
like a spark. It's like a great fire. Well, you got the introduction to the lesson. I apologize. I got sidetracked a little bit in there. Uh, love Leland Avenue. Love your ministry staff. Thank you for your faithfulness to God. We have a call to faithfulness and a call to fearlessness. The abundant life is a fearless life because we know we're never alone. He goes with us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had to to talk about your servant, Stephen, whose life was changed by Jesus. And he changed the lives of others like Saul of Tarsus, who was holding coats when he was stoned and who never could get it out of his mind. That sermon Stephen preached that day until on the road to Damascus, Jesus tells him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? That message from Stephen and that confrontation by Christ led to the conversion of Saul. And we see it's gone from Jesus to Stephen, from Stephen to Saul. And we see it's gone from Saul or the Apostle Paul. It's come right here to Kentucky, to Bowling Green, to this congregation, to these families and these individuals. And Father, may it, may it not stop here. I pray that you'll do something special with people of courage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.